it's time for another episode of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes. Here's your host, Terrence McCauley. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. My guest today is Matt Quirk. He is a New York Times bestselling author of several thrillers, including the inspiration for the hit Netflix series, The Night Agent. Today, he's here to talk about his latest book, Inside Threat, published by William Morrow. Matthew, thank you for taking the time to be here today. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh, of course. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your latest book, uh, The Inside Threat? Um, Inside Threat, it started with a premise that I've been working on for a while. And the setup is, what if the president comes under threat at the White House and he and his top aides have to flee to a real-life doomsday bunker? It's the size of a small city and it's built under a mountain uh, near Camp David. And they lock themselves in. And then once the doors close and seal, they find that they are locked in with the threat. And you sort of go from there. So it was a, oh. you know, it was just kind of like a, a high concept '80s movie sort of premise <laughs> that I've always wanted to do. Uh, I grew up on that stuff, and yeah, uh, yeah, and and so I was casting about for places to do it, and came across Raven Rock, and then the fun of it was watching the characters develop because it did start with the premise, and so you have your main protagonist he's eric hill and he's kind of a somewhat disillusioned secret service agent and mm-hmm. um he's sort of forced to reckon with everything that's caused him to be disillusioned um in the course of this and then it's a fun two-hander we call him because um working with him is amber cody who is the daughter of his former partner um Mm. his partner in the secret service who was killed in the line of duty so you know eric has strong feelings about that has you know protective feelings about the guy's daughter the daughter is a very fierce independent um young woman but she's also a rookie and she is the way a lot of us are when we first get to dc just kind of really in awe of the place and it was fun to you know, put them in this pressure cooker and then to set up a relationship that would have a lot of, um, I don't know, propulsive force to it as they start from very different places and work together in this crazy scenario. Right, right. It's it's fascinating to me and also seeing how your career has evolved over the years. It's It's been great to watch it. And I was wondering, I, as someone who spent 25 years in New York State government, I'm always impressed by people who can spend a significant amount of time in Washington because in government <laughs> slash politics, for me, you know, Washington, D.C. has always been the Super Bowl, Hollywood, stuff like that. So I was wondering what drew you to uh, Washington in the first place? Uh, and then how did you evolve into a, a writer of thrillers set there? It was a job, really. Um, mm-hmm. I worked at the school newspaper at Harvard and was fortunate enough that the new owner of the Atlantic Monthly, which is actually just like this amazing historic um, kind of Boston institution, but he was in DC. 
he had purchased it and he was staffing up and um you know i was lucky enough to work for him he hired me actually when i was a junior so i was uh yeah it was a real baptism by fire because i had i had studied history and literature but i wasn't and i wasn't a politics junkie you know there's there's kids who grew up on it and they can do the way kids with baseball stats they can do that with you know senate votes and all that and i I, yeah yeah, i knew nothing (laughs) and it was nice because i was it was kind of fresh to me when i got there um right and it was i i had to work my butt off to just become um fluent in all the topics that these debate kids had spent their entire life working on you know and right, so yeah. and, and when model debate yeah debate and they've Mark, been doing yeah. it forever and they could name six points on either side of every debate and knew all the stats and i was just you know trying to keep up and just reading like mad um and then the coolest thing was that i had all this access to the atlantic so um the the magazine and because the owner had kind of a small staff with him in dc at that point uh, right. was a great opportunity so he would invite me like to his house for um just a good old-fashioned georgetown salon like you would read in some memoir from like the kennedy days um, right and yeah and it was a trip because you know you'd go there i was trying to figure out like which fork to use and not <laughs> drink too much wine because i was so nervous because i was there with like the former cia director the owner of the magazine this new york times national correspondent and uh, you know they were figuring out if america should become an imperial power again and i was like oh man this is like this is where this stuff happens i know Um, yeah and and it's you know so it's it's ready made for these kinds of scenes and at the same time it was the run-up to the iraq war so at the same time i'd be hanging out with friends it's funny how like mundane and the exciting can coexist so i just go get beers and drink and then listen to records at my friend's house and then like also these foreign agents who were working for a certain faction in iraq that wanted to be put into power would be there we'd just be like hanging out and listen to old soul records you know um so there was there was just a ton of intrigue um and all of that got me excited about politics and foreign affairs and i was writing really short stuff for the magazine because i was a kid and um you know there's so much cool material floating around that i started putting you into books and just did that on the side for like six or seven years i really didn't know what i was doing or what kind of books i'd write and then Mm -hmm. ultimately i gave some material to a friend to give to an agent and then got laid off in 2008 in the financial Mm -hmm. crisis and it worked out that two or three days after i got my notice i got an email back on the material i had sent out like a, a partial of a novel and um the agent had given it to his boss who was a very big deal agent and they said keep going which was my first awesome. professional feedback yeah so i took like a wow a two-year flyer on becoming a novelist and right at the end of it the deadline i'd given myself which was my wedding um okay we sold everything we sold the first book and then we sold the film rights so it was uh i like to say that the story of how it all happened was even more thrilling than the novel because i was like white knuckling the whole time running out of money <laughs> right right exactly right and it's it's amazing how 
you had the good fortune of having almost like the, the everyman's experience of what Washington is, because a lot of people think it's just a bunch of government types in marble buildings doing government things or in smoky back rooms. And they say this as I'm smoking a cigar myself doing yeah. this interview, but you know, they think it's always these shadowy people in the background chortling and, and coming up with ways to run the world when in reality, Washington at its heart is a company town. And uh, like any company town, people sit around and talk shop over a couple of beers or cocktails or what have you. And some of those people happen to be some pretty influential people doing some interesting things, isn't it? Yeah, totally. And, you know, one thing that comes up in the books, like the night agent, like the 500 is um, you have young people doing a lot of the substantive work. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, you weirdly like my friend who inspired the night agent, he had like FaceTime with the FBI director every morning because he stayed wow. up all night um, reading everything coming in. And uh, and yeah. And the other aspect of D.C. Is I try to find a balance because you have the things that draw us into the genre, which are these kind of like really salacious notions that certain people are pulling all the strings. Right. Um, and then on the other hand, when you go to DC, it's like any other company and people are like screwing up and they're human. And mm -hmm. also the thing I try to get into the books, which kind of cuts against the genre and I don't want to make it unexciting for people, but I try to make it realistic in that DC is just full of like sweet, nerdy people. Right. And if if they're doing something that seems evil, it's probably because they are really committed to like a different set of first principles than you are, which right. was, it was eye-opening, you know, that like when I just, if I were just like had stayed away from politics and had my own political leanings and saw what they were doing, I would have been like, oh, they're doing this because they're, they're evil or something. And then you talk to them right. and they're just like, I'm really passionate about, you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, and that's, I mean, really the main vibe I get there, especially among the younger people is just like earnest, um, kind of sweet nerds, you know? Yeah. So it's really funny that the genre demands all these like sexy, larger than life, um, powerful people, you know, and, and in some ways it, it's, reassuring to think that even the evil is done with a master scheme by infinitely competent people because really a lot of the evil happens just because it's like shambolic and you know people say veep is the most accurate thing and there's a lot of truth to that right yeah i mean it's just uh, what you basically have is a bunch of policy wonks getting together and uh and doing their job the best way that they see fit. You'll always have bad actors no matter what, but the, the myth of the hyper-efficient government who plans and double plans for everything just isn't, isn't true. It's, yeah, and the you know, villains, you know? So I, I try to, you know, I try to leaven that in because I think, I think salting it with these little bits of like mundane real life DC makes the, um, makes the conspiracies a little, hit a little better because you're like oh this really feels real exactly right and it's the kind of story you're telling it's just like um the american president for example we, I, I would imagine you saw that several times i know i have and i love it for the kind of movie it is but it is not a documentary it doesn't pretend to be and i i keep telling people that's not how government really works it's a lot more boring than that yeah 
and you don't have staffers on the White House telling off a senator and still keeping their job the next day. Sure. You can't you can't do stuff like that. Um, how would you say you enjoyed the transition from being a journalist when you were a journalist relatively early in your career and then becoming a novelist? What was that transition like for you? Oh, well, in terms I mean, of the, the lessons that you learned and the different yeah. type of writing that you had to do. Well, I mean, first, it was like a dream come true because I had been working for years to find some time to work nights and weekends when I had been kind of doing journalism stuff all day, which was a lot of writing. And, uh, and then I was just able to do it. And then at the same time, that's a little terrifying, you know, because my, right. my first book did well and they said, uh, you know, okay, we'll see you next year and every year after with another book. And I was like, Oh man, I need to find out, you know, how to do this consistently. And, um, and there's a danger in suddenly having like too much time. And most writers, um, the, one of the big challenges in writing is like the head game of it and procrastination right. and perfectionism and stage fright and all that. So, um, you know, I worked, uh, you know, it took me a long time to even get a normal like nine to six kind of writing routine. I would write in the middle of the night and all this crazy stuff. Um, right. So it was it was a, 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 a funny journey. And, you know, there's there's no other novelists. I eventually met the other novelists, but um, it's not like, you know, when you're a tax attorney and you just, you meet with the other tax attorneys and you're like, what software do you, I guess, I guess we do do that as novelists, but I didn't know any novelists growing up. So it was a blank slate. Um, but the, right. the habits from the Atlantic, um, because it was a tough place to get articles in because it's right. um, only had so much space and had such an incredible roster and had so many incredible submissions it taught me a lot of discipline and like writing short um being really picky about the ideas i choose so i spend a lot of time starting a novel which with what i think is like a slam dunk premise like hopefully inside threat and mm -hmm. and so i think all of those habits kind of stood me in good stead when mm -hmm. i when i started writing full-time Right. Yeah. It's a, a lot of people think you just sit around all day thinking up stuff and then uh, it, it winds up on the page. And we know that as, as authors, it isn't that easy. Um, and also, too, I, I've read a couple of interviews about you and, and you seem to really appreciate the, the good fortune you've had in terms of finding the agent, getting it accepted and then having the dream that many authors, including myself, have of having their stuff optioned for development for a TV series or a movie. Um, and you seem to really handle that quite well, like Jack Carr has with his great series as well. How has that been for you? Because that's a different level of creativity entirely once you're dealing with people outside of publishing who are also doing a different medium. Well, it's nice actually, because what, what I like about being an author is like, there's no kind of infrastructure Mm -hmm. And and it's really it's easy to stay grounded because I'm doing exactly the same thing I was doing when I was just working on it on the side and mm -hmm. I never thought it would work out. Probably the same thing you're doing. I go out to my yeah. garage. I fart around on the Internet for a half hour when I should be working. <laughs> yeah. And um, and I and a lot of other like authors who have done well, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night thinking the whole thing might not work and right. um 
So it, it's kind of, I, I find it kind of easy to stay grounded because, you know, from the outside, my career might look like it's just been like easy street, but even then right. publishing is tough and it's a roller coaster. And every few years you need to, you know, double down, make some moves, um, write another, like dig deep and, and like write another big book. So, um, right. so it's easy to stay grounded because it's, you, you know, you get kicked around a little bit, even when it's going yes. well and you never know when it'll run out. Um, and right. also I don't go to an office where I have like 600 people, um, brown nosing me or anything you know what i mean i just i go to the garage and then i go inside and then you know i have to take out the trash so i I find it i find it yeah a pretty easy job to stay grounded in and um and then the tv film stuff is is similar because you know most of it i just call or now i'm in san diego so i actually go up to la and that's always that's always a trip because um it's actually when I was on the East Coast, it was a little easier because it was just phone calls and you didn't mm-hmm. have that kind of infrastructure of like walking into a big production company or film lot or something where you'd be like, right. oh, I'm totally nervous. I'm out of my element. And these people have this like incredible place and these big offices. So it was almost easier to do it all by phone. Um, right. Yeah. And then but even now. I I'm not like a writer on the show, so. Right. I've had some conversations with the showrunner, Sean Ryan, who's incredible. And I've gotten yeah. to do the fun stuff, which was like really fun and also like a little intimidating, you know, because you're going to the production company or the premiere or the set. Um, but everybody's been incredibly sweet. And I don't know if I'm the exception or what, because you hear different stories where authors right. aren't treated well. But the the whole experience with the night agent was incredible. And then the experience with the other books that have been optioned was was great. You know, they option mm-hmm. it. It's exciting. It doesn't work out. That's a disappointment. But right at the end of the day, you just you just sit and write the books and try not to, you know, get distracted and go crazy with Hollywood stuff. Um, yeah, so th- that's that's a yeah. great way to look at it, because I'm always telling any new writers that I meet and they say, oh, well, you know, I, I've got a great idea. I know that Hollywood's going to love it. I said, no, you don't, because that's a completely different world. And unless you work there, you have no idea what they're looking for, because they don't from month to month very oftentimes. So I said, just work on your book, try to make it as good as you can, and make sure it's presentable and hope for the best. But you can't write toward a trend, and you can't write with the oh, expectation yeah. that Spielberg's going to call you up and say, oh, I want to option this, because it doesn't happen all that often. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do, I do write. This is probably my imagination because I was like an '80s baby, a TV baby, a movie baby. Like, I mean, I also grew up on Crichton and Grisham and King. Um, but I think of these often cinematically, um, right? And you know, there's a certain kind of story that was the mainstream movies when I was growing up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like the firm, a lot of them came from books and then they kind of stopped making those movies. So it's nice to be in a moment now where with streaming and with some other things, it's they are making. um, It seems like more television shows, but that are like meaty stories for grownups that are similar to what you have in novels. But, um, you know, they've been doing it in novels the whole time. It's not like 
there were no great thrillers and everything was superheroes for a while. So it's, you know, it's nice. Right. It's really nice to be able to tell those stories and find those stories and novels. And it's cool that um, more of these kind of, these stories for grownups, um, not to knock superhero stories, but um, are finding their way onto screen and you get great TV shows like, um, like, uh, you know, I, I like the diplomat. Um, and yes, yeah, there's just, there's just, there's a ton of great TV right now. Right. I'm glad to see it happening too, because, you know, I was an eighties, uh, born in 74, but I grew up in the eighties and I, um, you know, we grew up watching Die Hard and Lethal Weapon that always, they, and I think they've hung around because yeah, they had the big action and they had the, the cool cast, but they also had at their core, really interesting stories that people, once VCRs came out and then once, Cable came out, you always wanted, and digital stuff, you always wanted to own those movies because not only was it a lot of action, but they were also really great performances and, and great stories, too. Yeah, and they were kind of funny and smart, and, you know. Like, yeah. Die Hard is, is much smarter and funnier than it has to be, you know, with, like, mm-hmm. Hans Gruber saying, I mean, making up those quotes about, I forget, Caesar wept, and, you know, it's right. like, you know, you, you, you felt like you were, you know, you weren't just turning off your brain for a while and and this book um truth be told is like my die hard in a presidential bunker book yeah because that's why when i when i read the um the synopsis about it and i, I read a sample of it, it it really felt like that but not in a derivative way it actually felt like it was more of a homage to those kinds of yeah. storytelling from from all years ago back then yeah and some agatha christie in there too because you know yeah you find a body who's the bad guy so it was a lot of fun. It was it was tough to write with all the constraints. You know, I thought it would be simple, but it was really tough to write. Yeah, each book presents its own challenges, even when it's it's part of a series. And I think what you're seeing now, and, and I'm glad you've caught the wave of this, is like, remember when we were kids, you had the the epic miniseries like uh, Winds of War, War and Remembrance, North and South. I mean, yeah, they were miniseries, but they were, I, I always saw it as the last of old Hollywood coming back and really being uh, in a different medium, but having grand stories, grand casts, and epic proportions. And you're starting to see that again uh, with a lot of the streaming options that are out there now, like with yeah. The Night Agent and others. Yeah, yeah, hopefully. May it last a thousand years, you know. <laughs> they have these, um, the the show, the Yellowstone. I, I haven't, I've, oh, wow. I had a kid last year, so I've been a little out of it, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they, it's spanning centuries now. Yeah, and it's um, you know, it, it's funny because Yellowstone is is like lightning in a bottle, and uh, the everyone forgets about westerns for twenty years, and then every twenty years they come back and they say, oh, well, where has this been? It's been there all along. But they they've done a particularly great job of of keeping it related, but each series is kind of it stands on its own as well. Uh, especially eighteen eighty three. That that just I haven't loved the Western that much since uh, Lonesome Dove. It was it was that good, Mike. Oh wow! I need to cue it up. I think uh, the fellow's named Taylor Sheridan. I, yeah. I I love I love all his his movies. His movies are incredible. So I yeah. need to uh, I need to get find some free time and get those. Yeah, start working on that cue. Yeah, it's amazing to see it from a storyteller's perspective. I mean, you, when you if you watch Yellowstone, you'll say, okay, there's some plot holes here and some stuff that doesn't make sense, but the direction and the acting save it and the scenery too so it's uh it's definitely worth watching no matter where you you decide to pick it up um it's, it's all very entertaining do you think you're going to continue with this the characters in uh the night agent 
and continue them in a, in a different universe. I know it's been optioned for a second season, but I was wondering, do you envision writing more books about that character? Do you think you're gonna link up all of your Washington stories in like a loose universe, if you will? Yeah, I mean, I like to, I like to think of them all as being in the same universe and sort of like, uh, you know, tripping over each other in DC, which mm -hmm. uh, when you mentioned before, like how long you can last in politics, it was funny that only being there for eight years, it, um, it started to feel like an incredibly small town. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I bet Albany felt even smaller. But yeah, uh, Albany and New York City. Yeah, that's where yeah. I was uh, based out of. And it was the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I got that. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. Not sh I'm not sure, really, because I have, I have a lot of standalone ideas, and the book after Inside Threat is planned as a standalone, um, mm -hmm. and I, I just like the blank slate and the freedom of that, but I also love Peter and Rose and have notes for subsequent stories there so it, it's really time will tell i i don't have much of a plan and it seems to be working out so <laughs> you know what whatever you're doing keep doing it yeah because it's it's going just fine it yeah, really is every way the wind blows exactly right exactly right so i know that you said you're you're working on um uh, another book what what are your next projects over the next year or so that you can talk about that the audience can look forward to from you well, we have Inside Threat. Um, there's Night Agent Season 2, mm -hmm. the TV show, which should be in 2024. It's kind of crazy times in Hollywood. so Right, um, yeah, especially now with the strike and all. Yeah, so I'm not sure, but I, I, it might still be 2024. I don't, I don't know. And, um, and then I'm working really, really early phase, so don't be surprised if a completely different book comes out next year. But... The setup is, uh, uh, so I'm working on another standalone novel, and the setup mm -hmm. is you have a woman who is an actress, and she always plays these, like, tough women in um, kind of action movies and or shows, and she's done all the things that these actors do where they they take all the training you know they do the brazilian right. jiu-jitsu they learn how to shoot a gun like um keanu reeves can shoot as well as anyone you know right and um but but so she always plays kind of like tough broads or whatever and right. that's very different from her personality so when she like leaves the set she goes home and she's just like a normal new yorker and not you know shooting people and kicking ass all weekend and then her friend goes missing and it's almost a bit like taken, but mm -hmm. her friend goes missing. And then it's this world of diplomacy and espionage in New York. And then she has to kind of go undercover in that world. And she finds herself having to um, become in real life, like the badass character she's only played on television. Wow. Wow. That's an interesting premise for a novel. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like what, uh, I remember Carrie Ann Moss said in an interview when they were making the Matrix movies, she said her family would say, oh, my cell phone doesn't work here. Can you do something with it? She said, I don't know how it works. She says, yeah. I turn it on and off and I hit the, the app. She says, don't ask me. Just says, that's my character. I don't know anything yeah. about technology. <laughs> exactly. So I, I thought that would be fun. And I mean, as a, as a practical matter, I like to have, 
you know, fast paced kind of action oriented books, but right. That it's funny that circumscribes the characters you can write about in a certain way. Um, Because, you know, in the Everyman book, there's for the first half of the book, you know, they're not an an action scene would be them sneaking into a place, Mm -hmm. not them fighting four people at once. So I, I thought this would be an interesting way to get more of an every woman character in there but still have enough action because she sort of has the chops, uh, right. but would be more relatable because she has kind of imaginary fighting chops. And it would be a fun journey to not to give anything away, but you can see this no. coming for her to like, coming, come yeah. into her own. Yeah. Right. And she also too, isn't just, uh, you know, with, with all of the training that such actors have to go through today, it sounds like she would certainly be able to contribute more than just good thoughts and into a, an endeavor like that so that's that's an interesting character to come up with yeah and i mean it's interesting for me because i do a lot of research for the book so like i took this anti-kidnapping class in la where they like chased me across la and if they caught you they'd handcuff you to stuff and they oh duct- wow yeah they duct taped us in like the back of a truck a van and we had to break out so you know i do a lot of kooky research for the books because it's kind of fun and right. and it's an inch and i and i i sit here playing a make-believe badass all day at my computer so it's it's a fun um uh kind of cipher for me if that's the right word to i think yeah. i it's it's an interesting character to put myself into because it's like well if you know this stuff in the abstract and you pretend to do it all day what would it be like in real life that's a that's a fun thought exercise for me right and then also with the with the kinds of uh, training that you've you've done and the pursuits you've you've done um you get that tactile uh relationship with the kind of story you're writing which is always good for yourself and also it adds a little bit of realism to for the reader yeah well. you gotta you gotta scare the bejesus out of yourself every once in a while and you know <laughs> most of us spend our lives trying to make sure we're never like sweating having a panic attack nervous because we think you know because we're getting stun gunned in the back of a van with a hood over our head but you know it's good to do that every once in a while to uh to uh relate to your to your characters because they're really going through hell exactly right exactly right and what's the best way that people can uh track your career and follow you on social media your website places like that i think the best thing would be the website um mm-hmm. kind of matthewquirk.com and then I uh, I do giveaways all the time. So there's a newsletter that pops up at the bottom and there's a kind of a contact page. So that's that's probably the best bang for your buck because I uh, I do a giveaway and do right. before each book. And I sometimes do like behind the scenes set photos and things. Hopefully there'll be more of those. And right. um, and then I also do Twitter, M-Q-U-I-R-K. And at Facebook and Instagram, I'm Matthew Quirk author, one word. So I, uh, I'm not the most prolific poster, but, right. uh, but you, can, you can stay abreast of everything on, on those different channels. Yeah, well, with the kind of work that you're churning out, I think that you could be forgiven for concentrating on the novels and letting the social media stuff slide a little bit. Because, yeah. Uh, if I collapse across the finish line on a book each year, I'm I'm calling it a victory. <laughs> it is, and so you should. Well, Matthew, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and the audience today. I know they've learned a lot of 
new insights about you and, and your writing. And uh, I'm sure they're going to follow you for what it looks like is going to be a great career that lasts a very long time. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. No problem at all. And everyone, thank you for tuning in for a, another edition of Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes right here on the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We will see you next time, everybody. Take care. You have been listening to Spies, Lies, and Private Eyes with host Terrence McCauley on Authors on the Air Global Radio Network.